morning I want to start off by asking you a question. What comes to mind when you think about God? According to A.W. Tozer, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I want you to think about that for a little bit. And I want to ask you a similar question. I want to rephrase the question. What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? This is very important for us because what we know about Jesus, what we think about when we think about Jesus, will determine our attitude, will determine how we live our lives. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus, our loving and forgiving Savior. And the main point of our passage this morning is that Luke paints a picture of who Jesus is. And he also gives us a right understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. And understanding this will lead in gratitude for God. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 7, we're going to be reading verses 36 through 50. Luke 37, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to, answered to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, 
your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now if you're taking notes this morning, there are two points. The first one is Jesus is a loving Savior. I'm sorry, Jesus is a forgiving Savior. And the second is Jesus is a loving Savior. Now, in order for us to understand what's taking place in this story, we must understand the culture in which it took place. For that, we're going to take some time to walk through the story, and we're going to be going through some of the customs and some of the practices that were going on, or that should have gone on, so that we can understand what's going on. So Luke begins by explaining that a Pharisee had invited Jesus to his house for a meal. Later in the story, we find that this Pharisee's name is Simon. And one of the questions that comes to mind is, why would this Pharisee invite Jesus to his house? Well, by this point, Jesus' ministry had started, and he had been proclaiming the good news The good news of salvation. We find in Luke 4 that when Jesus returned from the wilderness, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and taught in their synagogues, and as a result was glorified by all. Then when he went to Nazareth, he claimed that that Isaiah's prophecy had been fulfilled in him. And Jesus also declared himself to be a prophet. This led the Pharisees to look for a way to interrogate Jesus and his claims to try and find out who he was. And they did so by having Simon invite Jesus to his house for dinner. This is the way that they would interrogate Jesus. So we come to the first part of Luke's account. There in verses 36 through the first part of verse 37, Luke writes... One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now before we continue, we have to understand that this woman who shows up at Simon's house had already heard Jesus proclaim the good news of salvation before she arrived. And as we will see later, the text shows us that... That she showed up at Simon's house to express her gratitude. And she came to express that gratitude because she had received the forgiveness that Christ had offered to all who would come to him. Now, from the beginning of this passage, we read that there was some hostility towards Jesus. According to the custom in the ancient world, Simon the Pharisee, who was the host... He was supposed to have offered Jesus at least three common uh, courtesies. The first one that he should have offered was water to wash his feet. Wearing sandals in those times and even today necessitates the washing of feet. The second common courtesy that Simon should have offered was a kiss. This served as a greeting. And it's equivalent to our 
shaking of someone's hand when they come to our house or giving them a hug. And the third common courtesy would be oil for his head. This was a common token of honor for a guest. And by neglecting uh, Jesus, these courtesies, Simon was dishonoring Jesus. Now, every culture has some kind of gesture or common courtesies that are offered to guests. For example, when I was growing up, my mother would always prepare something to drink or something to eat whenever she knew that guests were coming over. And depending on who it was, for example, if it was a pastor and his wife, she would prepare uh, a meal. We were taught that to not have something to offer a guest was to insult our guests. And so we would always have something ready to offer. Now, when we go back to our story, the least that Jesus could have expected from Simon was some water for his feet a kiss, and oil for his head. Now, even though Simon disrespected Jesus, Jesus did not repay evil for evil. But instead, he entered and he reclined at the table. As we read the story, we find that the woman was already at Simon's house when Jesus arrived. If you turn there to verse 45 with me, we read, From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So Jesus here tells us that this woman was present in the house when he arrived. And we notice that Luke includes some details about this woman. He writes in verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now we don't know for sure what this sin was. or this, she was a sinner means. But most scholars believe that this sin is referring to prostitution. This woman had just witnessed, as she waited for Jesus to arrive, she had witnessed the way in which Simon had publicly dishonored Jesus. And this is what triggers her response. But before we get to that, this should lead us to ask a question. Why was she there? Jesus, being known for one who delivered demon-possessed people, healing the sick and raising dead people, Jesus was also known for being a friend of sinners and tax collectors. In the Pharisees' eyes, a good law-abiding teacher wouldn't associate himself with sinners, with outcasts, with women who were sinners. In the woman's eyes, she had heard and she had believed that Jesus was one who received sinners and ate with them. She believed Jesus' message of salvation, that God saves sinners just like her. And as a result, she began to ask around, trying to find out where she could find this Savior, the one who had forgiven her of her sins. And so let's continue with our passage there in verse 37 through 38. When she learned that he was reclining at the table, at table with the Pharise- in the Pharisee's house, 
She brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. When she learned that Jesus would be having dinner at Simon's house, she planned on being there to express her gratitude. We know this because Luke tells us that she brought an alabaster flask of ointment with her. Now, by this point in the story, I'm asking another question, and maybe you are too. Wouldn't she have been kicked out of Simon's house? What guaranteed her that she would be allowed inside this Pharisee's house? Because remember, Pharisees wouldn't associate themselves with sinners. According to their culture, those who had the means to do so provided meals for the poor and for the outcast. Now, whenever these outcasts were received, they were to sit on the floor and lean, they were to lean against the wall. And they were fed after the host was done eating. Now, in some cases, the presence of these outcasts helped the host to seem like a noble and loving person. Which is why Simon didn't mind the women being there. Because it made him look good. It made him look as someone who cared about the lost. Or cared about um, the poor and the needy. Now, knowing that Jesus would be at Simon's house... And that she would be allowed inside, she decided to go. Now, Origen, a well-respected church father, wrote, The woman, who owed a great debt and was forgiven, showed great love. Therefore, she entered Simon's house and as she entered Simon's house as a forgiven woman, ready to display her love. Now, it's probable that this woman planned on displaying her love by anointing Jesus' hands and his head, since anointing in this culture was seen as honorable. Little did she know that she was going to witness Simon the Pharisee disrespect her Savior. Being that Simon had deliberately planned to be rude to Jesus, she became frustrated and be and maybe even became angry to the point that she began to weep, as Luke writes. I'm assuming that in her mind she was probably thinking, how can it be that the Savior of sinners could be treated this way? She probably thought of asking Simon for some water and for a bucket so that she could wash uh, Jesus' feet herself. But she knew that Simon wouldn't have provided this for her. And so as this woman started weeping, she began to use her tears to wash Jesus' feet. And then she used her hair to wipe them. And after that, she kissed his feet. And last, she anointed them with her ointment. Now, Simon the Pharisee would have expected Jesus to stop this woman from doing such things. He would have expected for Jesus to not allow her to continue and Luke tells us that Simon responded by judging Jesus, not the woman, at least not yet. And this leads us to the next section in verses 39 through 40. 
Luke writes, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering to him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Simon's response shows us that the reason why he invited Jesus in the first place was to evaluate him, was to examine him and see if he really was a prophet. In his mind, a prophet would have known what kind of woman this was. A prophet would not have allowed a woman to express these gestures to him, especially from a sinful woman. Simon was waiting for Jesus to stop her, but Jesus didn't. The woman had come to show her gratitude, and Jesus allowed her to do so. In doing so, the woman was validating who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God. And her actions towards Jesus were not only right, but expected as a sinful woman who had been forgiven by a loving and forgiving God. Jesus then responds to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Jesus told a short parable about two debtors to teach everyone in the room a lesson. There in verse 41 and 42, we find the parable. It's a fairly short parable. And it is, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. So the moneylender in the parable is assumed to be God. While the debtors represent man's fallen condition. Now there's two things that we have to understand about sin in order to understand what Jesus is saying when he tells this parable. The first thing we have to, that we have to understand about sin is that all people are sinners. We have all sinned. The Bible tells us that in Genesis... In the beginning, when God created people, He created us to live in a relationship with Him. This relationship was to be special. It was to be like that of a good and loving and trustworthy King with His people. Where His people would joyfully submit to Him and enjoy Him. This God who created us, also being Lord and Judge, made His will known to His creation. From the very beginning. When God created people, His intention was that we would all live under Him, under His righteous rule, which is good. We were created to live under Him joyfully and obediently. Man was created in God's image as a reflection of Him, meaning that we were meant to imitate God by being in relationship with Him and to declare His glory to the world. 
However, man, man's representation of God in the world was not final. This means that the authority that God had given man, Adam and Eve, in the world <clears throat> was not their own. It was, some, it was something that was given to them. It was God-given. And Adam and Eve and all people were to remember that God created us. And if God created us, we were to be under God's authority. And God in His loving kindness gave Adam and Eve a reminder of this. He gave them a tree in the center of the garden. The tree that God gave Adam and Eve was to be a reminder that God was their creator and they were the creation. That they were to submit to God's good and loving rule. It was to remind them that their authority was limited. That they were dependent on God for everything, including their very lives. Adam and Eve were only stewards. God was the king. God is the king. Unfortunately, something happened. Adam and Eve rebelled. They, de they decided to willingly go against what God had told them not to do, which was to not eat from the fruit. When they did that, they were doing more than just breaking a command. Adam and Eve were rejecting their king. They were rejecting their creator. At the same time, they were also declaring their independence from God. So we see that Adam and Eve made a conscious decision to turn their backs on the very God who gave them life. And Adam and Eve were well aware of the consequences that would follow if they were to eat from the fruit, from the fruit because God told them that the day that they ate from it, they would surely die. This meant that by eating from the fruit, they would be cast out of the garden and cast out of God's presence. They would become enemies of God rather than children of God. Now as we understand sin, we have to also understand that it's not just Adam and Eve that have done this. We have all done this. We've all sinned. Romans 3.10 says that none is righteous, no not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that man's greatest problem is our sin. This is our, our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins. This is what we need to be saved from. And so remember how in the beginning I asked you, what comes to mind when you think about God? Or what comes to mind when you think about Jesus? Do you think genie? Do you think bank account? Or do you think Savior? We must understand this if we're going to understand Jesus' parable. And the second thing that we have to understand is that sin comes with a penalty. The penalty for sin is death. The Bible has a lot to say about this. Um, for one, the Apostle Paul says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. 
And he also writes in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the payment that we earn, the payment that we receive, that we are building up for ourselves, is death. And it's not just physical death. It's a spiritual death where we are separated, separated from the righteous and holy God. Death is the only acceptable punishment for sin. Why? Because sin is man's rejection of God, which deserves God's rejection of man. Understanding these two pieces of information will help us understand what Jesus is trying to get us to understand in this parable. Now, going back to the parable... The debt <coughs> the debt that is mentioned in the parable can, re, can be representative of Simon and the woman's lifestyles. We read that one debtor owed 500 denarii and the other 50. The 500 can be seen as the woman who was a lawbreaker and a sinner as the Pharisee described her. While the debtor who owed 50 denarii could be seen as Simon, a supposed law keeper. But in the parable, we find that both debtors cannot pay their debt. And this is meant to help us understand that both Simon and the woman are sinners and they were both in need of the forgiveness that Jesus was offering more than that, it's also supposed to help us understand that we are all in need of Jesus. We are all in need of His forgiveness. We're all morally bankrupt and there's no way that any of us can pay for our sins. Now, we all come with, from different backgrounds, from different experiences, and we all have different sins. But one truth remains, which is, we all are sinners before God. We all need His forgiveness. We have all disobeyed, and, and we, all, all, we are all debtors, like the ones in the parable. Now, having said this, we're, we're, we're able to better understand what Jesus is, is talking about, and we're now able to understand the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And this leads us to the first thing that I want to draw your attention to, which is Jesus is a forgiving Savior. Jesus is a forgiving Savior. The only hope that both debtors had was for the moneylender to graciously forgive them their sin, I mean their debt. And in the same way, the only hope that we have that people have is that God would cancel our debts too. If our greatest problem is sin, then our only hope is that God would forgive us our sins. Now, if you are visiting us this morning and you're not a Christian, and if you are a Christian, I want to remind you of some great truths. There's good news for you. 
And the good news, as we see in the parable, is that the money lender was able and willing to forgive the debt of both sinners. God has made a way to forgive all sinners of their sins. The forgiveness that God offers is available to all people, no matter what sins have been committed. Simon believed that God did that Jesus didn't know who the woman was, but Jesus knew her, for he formed her in her mother's womb. But he also knew who Simon was. And Jesus offered forgiveness to both of them. Now when it comes to God's grace, once again going back to A.W. Tozer, he writes that the grace of God is infinite and eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. It is as boundless as infinitude. He compares the worst sin to the highest mountain. So think about the highest mountain. What comes to mind for me is um, Machu Picchu Mountain. That was there three years ago. It's a big mountain. And he says that the mountain has a definable boundary. It's so large, it's so high, it weighs only a certain amount and no more. But then Tozer asks, but who can define the limitless grace of God? God's grace is much greater than the greatest sin that we can imagine. And so if you're visiting us today and you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, what's keeping you from receiving the forgiveness that God offers you? There's no sin that's too big that God can't forgive you. There's no sin that's so small that you don't need saving from. God is both able and willing to forgive you if you would only turn to Him and turn away from your sin. He will have compassion on you as Jesus had compassion on this sinful woman. Now another thing that we have to understand about God's forgiveness and about our sins is that our sins require punishment. The reason for this is that God is a holy and righteous God. And if we turn to Exodus 34, 6, and 7, if you want to go ahead and turn there with me. Moses has a description of God. One that many people like to use to describe God, but only use the first verse and tend to leave out the second. So Exodus 34, 6, and 7, we find that Moses writes, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Moses describes God as a loving, compassionate God who's slow to anger and abounding in love. But if we continue reading... Moses also says, But who will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What we see in this in these verses is that God's grace does not cancel out his justice and his righteousness. And scripture constantly reminds us that God is good and he's a God of perfect justice and of righteousness. And to think of God as being one who doesn't really care about sin, as one who simply sweeps sin under the rug, um, if you want to look at it that way, as one who dismisses sin is wrong and is to have a wrong understanding of who God is. If you live with an understanding that God doesn't really care about sin, then you're going to live your life sinning. Because after all, God doesn't really care about sin, if you think this. God confronts sin and He will destroy it. And this leads us to the heart of the gospel. This leads us to the way in which God can have mercy on our sins without destroying His justice. Because a question that's commonly asked is, how can a holy and righteous God justify the ungodly? If God is just and God is righteous, how does He, how do he, how does he justify sinful people? And the answer to this question is found at the cross. Where Jesus paid for the punishment that sin deserves. Jesus' mission was to die as a sacrifice for His people. Jesus knew from the very beginning that His mission would be to come and die. That's the reason He came. Luke writes in uh, chapter 19 verse 10. That Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. And once again, death is the only acceptable form of payment for sin. And on the cross, Jesus not only suffered an excruciating physical death, but He also suffered a spiritual death in which He experienced the wrath of God. He willingly suffered for the penalty of our sins. He experienced what He had never experienced before. He was rejected by God the Father. And He took God's wrath upon Himself. The sins. Our sins. He took them upon Himself and He paid for the, for the debt that we owed. He substituted Himself for all who would turn away from their sin and who would turn to God for forgiveness. Jesus' death is the way that God has established to forgive us of our sins of our rebellions, of our guilt. Jesus' death was not for His own sin, because remember, Jesus didn't have any sins. He died for our sins. So Christian, are you still trusting that Christ completely has completely forgiven you of your debt, of your past, present and future sins? Based on His work on the cross? Or have you forgotten? Have you allowed yourself to believe that you have to contribute to your salvation by fixing yourself before you confess your sin? 
Do you think that you have to clean your act up before you approach God as if that were a way for Him to forgive you? Are you turning to Christ or are you turning from Christ? Are you approaching Him with faith, trusting Him that His death on the cross was sufficient for your sins if you confess your sin and turn away from them? If you're a Christian, God's forgiveness to you not only came to you when He saved you, God's forgiveness has been continually poured out on you from that day forward. Where by the power of His Spirit, He convicts you when you sin. Leading you to repentance. Turning away from sin and turning back to God. And when you confess your sin, God has revealed Himself as a God who is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of His work on the cross. So are you continuing... In this faith that you have in Christ. Let's not forget the compassion that Christ showed the woman. The sinful woman. Don't forget the price that he paid for you on the cross. And this leads us to our second point. Jesus is a loving savior. Now love is one of those words that gets tossed around. um, And it can have a lot of. Or a variety of meanings. And it's very common to hear people say that God is love. Or even that love is God. But one theologian says that to say that God is love is to equate God with love. And if we equate God to love, then love is literally God. And this would mean that they are both identical which is not true. He reasons that we may never fully know what love is, but we can know how love manifests itself. And we can know that by the different attributes of God. Now one of the ways that love manifests itself is that it desires the good of all. And it does not desire to harm or to do evil to anyone. And so this helps us understand what the Apostle John wrote. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now fear exists when we believe that someone can hurt us. When we come to under, uh, yeah, when we come to believe that we're not safe, we fear. But when we come under the protection of someone who we know won't hurt us, that doesn't desire to hurt us, fear is cast out. It's like a child who gets lost in a supermarket and becomes fearful because of all of the strangers that surround him or her. But as soon as the child's mother finds him, that fear is cast out because the child knows that he is safe. This helps us understand why the sinful woman came looking for Jesus at Simon's house. 
She understood that Jesus' desire for her was not to harm her, but to give her hope and a future to save her from her sins. Even though she had experienced the rejection of the people, the rejection of the religious elite, she heard and believed Jesus' message, and as a result experienced and accepted the forgiveness and the love of the Savior. Now, Luke tells us that because she had received and experienced God's forgiveness, her sins, which were many, were forgiven. This sinful woman loved much, while Simon, on the other hand, was rude and disrespectful. His heart was filled with pride, for he didn't recognize or understand or see his need for Christ. The woman's heart was filled with gratitude because she understood her sin and she understood that she had been forgiven. Simon didn't think that he needed forgiveness. In his eyes, he was healthy. And there in Luke 47, 47, we read, But he who was forgiven little, loves little. Jesus was not saying that Simon had a few sins. Because if we understand our sinfulness, we will know that all of us, we have many sins. If we would try to keep count of our sins, we, we would lose count. But Simon loved little because his heart was cold, and he didn't see the seriousness of his sin. And the reason Simon loved little was because he didn't think that he was as bad as the sinful woman. And so what Jesus is saying is that those who understand the seriousness of their sin, those who understand that they have no way of being made right with God, those who understand that they are morally bankrupt and there's nothing that they can do to earn God's forgiveness, those who understand that and then turn to Christ and receive His grace, they will love much. On the other hand, those who are convinced that they don't need forgiveness for their sins, they don't see their need for Jesus, will love little. So Christian, how is your love for Christ? How is your love for church for Christ died for the church because he loved the church he loves the church are you remembering all that Jesus has done for you on the cross and is that leading you to love God's people as he has loved you Is your understanding of God's forgiveness leading you to share the same message that you heard and you believed, which led to your forgiveness and salvation? Or is that impulsing you to share the gospel with other people who are lost and are in need of God's forgiveness? 
If not, I'd like to recommend for you to become familiar with your sin. By that I mean examine the sins that you've been forgiven of. Turn to God in His Word and pray asking Him to open your eyes so that you would see the seriousness of your sin. But don't stop at just that. Once you start to see and understand the seriousness of your sin, let that lead you to the cross. Let that lead you to Christ where you find forgiveness. Where you'll find Christ's grace. Which is much greater than your sin. Because understanding the seriousness of our sin. Will remind us of the great forgiveness and salvation that we've received from Christ. I remember when I first understood my sinfulness. Or my depravity. This was during the time where I... Embrace the doctrines of grace. I grew up believing that I had chosen God. I believe that it was out of my good decision of choosing God that He saved me. And that led me to believe that I had to do certain things in order to please God. I had to evangelize. I had to pray. I had to go to church. I had to do X, Y, and Z. But when I understood my sinfulness, and when I understood the forgiveness that Christ gave me, when I began to understand what Christ did for me on the cross, that transformed my understanding of my sin and my great Savior. That led me to not think that I had to do X, Y, and Z, but that led me to want to do X, Y, and Z because of what Christ had done for me. Now, this doesn't come easy to any of us. This is something that we have to discipline ourselves in. We have to be in the Word of God. We have to be surrounding ourselves with the church so that we're reminded of these great truths. And as we spend time in in Scripture, as we pray, as we confess our sins, as Jeremy led us um, earlier today, We're reminded of the ways that we fall short. But then we're also reminded of the great Savior that we have who offers forgiveness and His love to all who turn away from their sins and turn to Him. So let this catapult you to Christ where you will find much grace. Then in verse 42 and 43... We continue, now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Simon had judged the woman wrongly. And Jesus responded by saying, Simon, you've judged her from your own perspective. But now I want to help you see her from mine. And in asking Simon which of the debtors will love more, Jesus was helping Simon to judge correctly. Jesus then turned his attention to the woman's response. 
which came from the forgiveness that she had received. So Simon and his guests had planned to dishonor Jesus, but the woman chose to honor Jesus. She ruined their plans, and this would would have made them angry with her. But Jesus then does something amazing. Jesus steps up and he defends her by pointing out her actions. And Jesus calls on Simon to look at the woman and to look at what she's done. Jesus corrects Simon in front of his guests in his own home. And Jesus was saying essentially, Simon, you and I both know what your responsibility to your guest is. You've invited me into your house. And I accepted your invitation. You've judged this woman wrongly. And now you want me to do the same. Simon, can't you see? She has joyfully done what's, ex- what's expected of you. And has done so because she has been forgiven for her sins. That you wrongly condemned her for. What does this say about your love, Simon? And so Jesus in his kindness and in his love was trying to help Simon see his own need for forgiveness. His own need for Jesus. And had Simon turned away from his sin, we don't know. This story doesn't tell us how um, Simon ends up reacting. But had he repented of his sins, Christ would have forgiven him. So after helping Simon see this, Jesus speaks to the woman for the first time, confirming her forgiveness by saying, your sins are forgiven. We see that the woman's actions were not an attempt to earn her salvation or to earn forgiveness. She had already received it. Her actions in going to the Pharisee's house and in Honoring Jesus the way that she did was proof that she had been forgiven much and now had much love to offer. And then we conclude there in verse 49. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A few chapters before our passage here, uh, actually, yeah, in chapter 5, Jesus tells us that some men were bringing uh, a man who was paralyzed to him, and his their faith um, was something unlike he had ever seen. And because of their faith, Jesus forgave this man um, of his sins. Jesus was identifying himself as God. Because there in that same, in that other story, in chapter 5, the people were also asking, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus validated his identity by demonstrating what only God could do, which was God healed the paralytic, and forgave him of his sin. So this is the same Jesus who offers forgiveness 
even today, if you don't know Christ, if you've been living your life in rebellion or you've been rejecting Him, Christ is willing to forgive you if you would turn away from your sin and turn to Him trusting in His work on the cross, in His life, death, and resurrection, that that is sufficient to forgive you of your sins. He will forgive you. He will have compassion on you as he's had, as He had on the woman. If you're not, if you know yourself not to be a Christian, Jesus is a loving and forgiving Savior, and He will forgive all who turn away from their sin and turn to Him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for displaying your love to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that while we were far off, while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take our sins upon himself, and to pay for the debt that we owed. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see the seriousness of sin, but also to see how great a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that our understanding of who you are would lead us to have much love, much love for you, much love for your church, but also much love for the lost. I pray that we would be reminded of your grace and your goodness and your kindness to us in your son, Jesus. And that that would drive us to want to lay our life down to serve others. That that would lead us to deny ourselves so that we would demonstrate this love to those who don't know you. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us in your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.